Tom, in a fantastic example of the pot calling the kettle black. Okay. <laughs> The Pew uh, Internet uh, Research Center mm. uh, has released their study on teens, social media, and technology, and I discovered it on Facebook. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay, so it's all still one LinkedIn world. That's perfect. Yes, that is exactly true, and it turns out that signs of social media anxiety and depression are up and that teens are spending upwards of six hours a day on social media sites. Ooh. When do they do anything else? Yeah, six hours. Uh, it's, it's not just teens. It's a lot of people uh, because, you know, teens grow up and they just try to find a way to fit more social media. And as it turns out, uh, that it, Dr. Mary McCormick of the Holston Medical Group, uh, she is a family physician and she reports in that it starts to interfere with daily life and responsibilities. Then it's more than just browsing and communication. Uh, it is an effort uh, to uh, it, it is that dopamine push that comes with addiction. And that is a scary thing because these kids, uh, they're learning these behaviors and they're transitioning to uh, adulthood and they are not able to put their phone down. It is uh, very common for them to pull away from social situations, from friends, from family, even sitting in the room with people. Yeah, I know you know this because it's just like you. What? Oh, wait. No, it's not. You don't have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I do. If I'm at a restaurant and I see a table of people all looking at their phones, not talking while food is sort of yeah. slowly being delivered, it kind of right. drives me crazy. And I like to fantasize that they're all just texting each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think they probably are. Although in this case, it would be they're YouTubing each other or Instagramming each other or Snapchatting each other yeah. because uh, kids, kids don't use don't use text anymore. That's not oh, a thing. Right. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's very small. It turns out, actually, YouTube, uh, according to the Pew Report, YouTube is used by 85% of respondents, uh, percent of U.S. teens, 72% on Instagram, 69% on Snapchat, 51% on Facebook, only 32% on Twitter, 9% Tumblr, 7% Reddit. Reddit made it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> only 3% uh, report none of the above. Ugh. They're all on Google Plus. Right. <laughs> Nerds. They're still trying to look up Ask Jeeves. <laughs> uh, notice MySpace didn't make the cut either. No. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyhow, this is a fascinating report, and it is terribly scary. Uh, for my interest, it, it triggered because it's part of my ADHD uh, news feeds. Mm. And they said that, you know, this this is... Uh, uh, one of the most dangerous patterns for those living with ADHD, because this is the dopamine push, right? This is the thing that is going to make you, uh, you know, every time you you pick up your phone and you get that little shot, that little stimulus of somebody who is reaching out to you or somebody who liked a picture that you posted, that is uh, going to um, actually decrease the time between the next time you feel you have to pick up your phone. Uh, so you'll see it, you'll put it down and instead of waiting five minutes, oh, you now want you're the rush four. again. Right. You want the rush more and more quickly. So you're already easily distracted and wanting things to change as fast as they can. And social media is just the perfect nest of that kind of behavior. Mm. Uh, and and that's not how life works, says McCormick. 
and so what do you do, Tom? What do you do to, to break the cycle? Hmm. What did you do to break your addiction? I, I think I binged it. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that uh, the most common recommendation and one that I have done myself is to do the purge, delete the apps off your phone, right. just get them off your phone. You don't have to delete your accounts if you're not ready for that, but delete them off your phone. Make, the, make it so that uh, checking your social media feeds becomes a thing you do in one particular context. It's not waiting in line at the grocery store or at the bank. It's, it, you know, maybe it's on your computer at home or in one location at home sitting at a table. Mm. Uh, make it a thing that is context specific and not context general uh, and that is that's going to help you out or you can also do what i do which is wait to adopt something like facebook until way late <laughs> and by then all the language has changed and they've added too yeah. many buttons and you don't understand how anything works and so you just don't use it because you don't understand something that everyone understands just wait and wait and then all of a sudden they'll be like talking about widgets and emojis and you're like i don't know any of these words so dynamite welcome to myspace tom exactly. nobody cares <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. Again, something stinky at what's that smell.net. You too can be WTS famous. <laughs> you know, you know, we should add, Tom. We should add, and we didn't add, and we should. We are we're behind the time. Speaking of social media and anxiety. Yeah. People have started to write us their questions on Facebook. We should remind them they could do that. Like, oh, of course. Right. You can just find us on the What's That Smell page on Facebook, too. And send us a note. Perfect. Find us on Etsy. We don't know. I don't think <laughs> finds all of this stuff. Anyway. Okay, with that, I will go first. Ita, way back in episode six of season one, I talked about my anxiety of robots and about how robots are going to bring about the downfall of humankind. Remember? That was a classic. Classic WTS app. Well, I am happy to say that my technophobia has officially been cured. I no longer believe that robots are a malevolent force, and I now think that all machines are good and helpful and to be obeyed at all times. And of course, well, this is a this is a trap. No, I'm and I'm not just saying this because I'm afraid my phone is listening to me. All right, hold on real quick. I have to go throw my phone in a river. All right, um, Pete, there is a very strong chance that not many of our listeners will relate to my anxiety this week. And if I had to guess, I don't believe you will either because you're such a tech. But something has happened over the last couple of years, and I find it alarming. It started with just one friend, a friend of the show, Scotty P., who was an early adopter of futuristic devices. And now it seems like almost overnight, it's everywhere for all of my friends. We'll be standing in their kitchen or living room, hanging out, and all of a sudden they will blurt out a name and a command, and lights will start turning on, and music starts playing, and the oven turns on. And I mean, that's a mix of futuristic cool and creepy that I'm really having trouble getting used to. Yes, I apologize. The Luddite speaks. My anxiety this week is about voice-activated devices. They are everywhere. In almost every house or apartment I go to, and it seemed like it moved fast. 
And did you know, by the end of last year, more than 100 million smart speakers were installed worldwide. And by 2021, according to the research firm Ovum, there's going to be as many voice-activated assistants on the planet as there are people. That's how robots are going to get us, Pete. That makes them the ants of the techno world. Wake up! All right. So before I go on, Pete, how many Alexa Echo series do you own? And do you have any anxiety about them? I do not. I am really? a fan of Apple's HomePod. Oh. I have two of them. Okay, but it's the I same have one thing, right? On my bed. Oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, I, it's it's Siri on my bedside table and in the kitchen. And uh, I also have the Apple TV plugged into my uh, television and uh, entertainment center in the living room, which also acts uh, as a, a device that I can play things to. So, um, and the microphones I find are so sensitive. You'll love this that it doesn't matter. Where where in my house I am, if I say the trigger words, uh, I can uh, actually, you know, even at a normal voice, sotto voce, I can just say things and I can turn lights on and off. And I should also add over the last three and a half years, I have replaced every single solitary light bulb in my house with hue light bulbs. Uh, Those are the full color spectrum light bulbs. So when I say things like, you know, Hey, lady, relax. Uh, she actually picks up and changes all the light bulbs to a nice relaxing setting in every room, including the bathrooms <laughs> everywhere in the house. You would love it here. Uh, you would love it. The am- and you know what else? <laughs> we have this game. We have this game, Harry Potter Clue, right? And when we play Harry Potter Clue, Tom, I have an app that I can turn on and say, I just want you to give me haunted castle lighting and every light in the house starts to fade in and out in dark blues and greens and occasionally lightning will strike and lights in certain rooms at random will flash bright white and all the sound will play over the speakers so it sounds like you're actually in a haunted castle it feels like it because of the light and of course we're playing the score to the movie while we play the game clue i have to be honest that actually sounds dope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I would love to be able I mean it's not the same because I just live in an apartment so it's like my kitchen will be like yeah. blank blank but still <laughs> that actually sounds really cool okay so it sounds like you clearly don't have any anxiety about these things. I have none of it and uh, uh, well wait a minute mm? wait a minute mm. I used to have Amazon Echoes I did and this was before the HomePod was released and I had them I had three of them and I got rid of them uh, because I did have some anxiety. I, I frankly, I'm one of those who I, I trust Apple as a company and their statement on privacy mm-hmm. uh, more than I trust Amazon. And at the time, it had just come out that Amazon was using their data uh, for certain kind of uh, surveillance activities, yep. and they have a big trove of data. And I did not trust the company to separate the, what was going on in my house from what's going on uh, and the data that they're tracking from public cameras. I don't trust the company to to do that. And so I got rid of the Amazon uh, active uh, listening devices yep. and I, I went with Apple. So that is I guess that is a sign. I, I absolutely had some anxiety about that. Well, that's good because we're going to be hearing a lot about Amazon Echo in the rest of this anxiety <laughs> because it's a voice activated dystopian nightmare. OK, well, I'm glad that you had some anxiety because unlike we usually say on this podcast, you should. Everyone should. 
In May of 2018, the New York Times reported that all of the voice activation assistants are vulnerable in a deviously terrifying way. Recorded commands at a frequency beyond what humans can hear can be hidden inside otherwise innocuous seeming audio. So, in other words, in the wrong hands, you can uh, put, you can hide a secret command in a YouTube video or a song that can be used to trigger your voice-activated machine to send messages, make purchases, wire money, anything that these virtual assistants can do, all without you realizing it. Uh, oh, for crying out <laughs> loud, that's the worst. <laughs> UC Berkeley what? researchers Nicholas Carlini and David Wagner announced uh, that they were able to fool Mozilla's, Mozilla, that's Firefox, right? It Mozilla's open-source deep-speech voice-to-text engine by hiding a secret inaudible command within audio of a completely different phrase. They also did it by hiding rogue commands within brief music snippets. Quote, my assumption is that the malicious people already employ people to do what I do, Carlini told the Times, with the paper adding, quote, he was confident that in time he and his colleagues could mount successful adversarial attacks against any smart device system on the market. And again, these are the good guys. Oh, dear. Not good, right? No, it's not good. Well, I have more because it really doesn't even have to be that sinister. As you already brought up about Amazon Echo and your worries about privacy, basic privacy can absolutely be at risk. I think you probably have heard this story, but in Seattle in 2018, an Amazon Echo recorded and sent a private conversation between a husband and wife and sent it to one of the husband's employees. How could that happen? <laughs> Here was Amazon's official explanation. Oh, and you said a trigger word before. Um, actually, in the biz, Pete, it's called a wake word or a wake phrase. So, for instance, on your phone, if you say, hey, blank, whatever the wake word is, that's what opens it up. So, okay, where was I? Amazon's official explanation of how this happened. Quote, Echo woke up due to a word in background conversation sounding like the wake word. Then the subsequent conversation was heard as a send message request, at which point the device said out loud to whom, at which point the background conversation was interpreted as a name in the customer's contact list. The device then asked out loud blank, right? Meaning the contact name. Alexa then interpreted background conversation as right. Now at first, oh, that's the end quote. Now at first you can yeah. feel good about the amount of times Captain Echo presumably checked in before sending the conversation. Of course, the flip side of that is at least five times in a row, the device heard background conversation and wrongly believed it was getting direct instructions. And it all happened without the people in the room knowing that the device was listening, much less recording their conversation and shipping it out, supposedly on their behalf. And real, I'm just going to peel back the curtain for the listeners. I've had to redo that last paragraph four times <laughs> because I keep saying wake words that I don't want to because I don't want to mess anything up. Pete very uh, nicely has been saying, nope, try it again. Say the word device. <laughs> Say wake word. <laughs> That's me recording a podcast about this and I can't even talk normally. And no one is scared of this. Anyways. Well, so I, okay, so that story in particular is a cavalcade of failures, right? Yes. It, it really is. And at the same time, I absolutely believe that this is what happens, that there's nothing nefarious uh, going on about this necessarily. This was not Amazon, uh, and I am naturally skeptical of the company. This is not Amazon, uh, you know, attempting to do something, you know, evil, right? This, this in fact, is not something, because this happens all the time. I 100% agree. That doesn't make it less 
No, that's the problem is that, is that, you know, what I imagine happened, which is what happens around our house all the time, is that the volume of the device was so low, uh, maybe plugged into another thing, that you couldn't hear it respond to you. And that's what happens to us because usually the volume is a little bit higher when it automatically, you know, sets a timer because it misinterprets something that we're saying in in the kitchen. Um, You know, we'll hear it because it's, it, it, the voice is high enough to hear it. I totally see how if you turned it down, you know, yesterday, you wouldn't hear it responding when it's asking you all of these things. Right. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. And it it is totally a note of great caution that this is going on. Yeah. I mean, th- we've given them so much power, in effect. And there's no, of course, there's no human there to be like, you don't really mean that, right? <laughs> Because they're they're soulless machines with dead eyes. I assume echoes have eyes, right? I haven't really seen one. Anyways, <laughs> and that that conversation in 2018 that got a ton of press. It wasn't even the first time. I did some more research, and in 2017, the Alexa device owned by a Rob Signore. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Rob Signore in North Carolina learned that his echo recorded him in a private conversation and sent it to his insurance agent. See, these things mm. can have life altering situations. You don't want your insurance yeah. agent just listening to everything you're saying. And numerous judges over the past few years, I know you know this, this has been getting a ton of press. Uh, numerous judges have signed court orders for Amazon and other companies to turn over voice recordings for murder trials. Because even without a wake word being used, other audio can be inadvertently picked up. Now, as all listeners know, I'm a huge fan of murder solving. But this <laughs> is a terrible slippery slope for privacy. Yeah. I mean, this goes, this yeah. gets bad in a heartbeat. Being able to say something listening to you all the time. It's listening to you all the time. You know what? <laughs> this isn't in my notes, but I can actually go back a little bit. The fact that it's always listening. It's not necessarily recording, but it's always listening, waiting to hear a wake word. There is something really unsettling about that. Does that hit you at all? That you're always being listened to? Or am I being naive and like my microwave has always been listening to me? Like, has that been around for a long time? Uh, um, uh, well, I, I, I don't, I guess I can sort of answer that. Has it been around for a long time? I, no, devices have not been, we're in a unique era, right. a new okay. era. I mean, just your appliances have not been listening to you. <laughs> Frankly, they don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're so tired they of me did, anyways. They'd be responding that's like, you're doing it wrong right. or I'm broken yeah. or, you know, that we kind of thing. We get it. Your dog so, is cute. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but we are in a unique and brand new era. And this is the challenge, I think, that we're, we're facing is that we don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean technically. We know how to sort of do it technically, but culturally, how we respond to it and how we integrate with it. Um, the thing that uh, scares me more than the fact that these little accidents of listening are happening is the fact that I, I hope we don't become so reactive to these kinds of events that we actually uh, shy away from a potential future where these things are safe enough, secure enough, and reliable enough that even you will invite one into your life. Right. Because, and I don't believe that that has happened yet, but you're right. I mean, that's the, there's not enough, I don't think, of the what if or the where are we now. I think everyone, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, just adopted something too early. Actually, I have one quote um, from the, ACLU's Speech Privacy and Technology Project, um, 
a staff member there said, quote, these are potential surveillance devices and we have invited them further and further into our lives without examining how that could go wrong, end quote. I just wanted to put that in because I think that's a real good way of another way of saying what you said. At some point, it is the future. It will be the way to go. But we're diving in really fast. Frankly, it's weird that I don't have anxiety about it. This, <laughs> this is a, a thing where my like my absolute need for you know technology in my life has actually superseded my anxiety over right. it. But I would I, I would submit that um, for every Tom there is in the world, uh, we need a Pete or two because there is no way for us to examine the cultural implications of new technology unless we have people adopting it at a scale at which we can see the outcomes. Oh, that's interesting. Because if I was in charge, everything would be so we nervous. We would never know. Right? Exactly. We would <laughs> never know how these things work. And so uh, oh, like we, we would all right. just be... St- Right. We'd still be doing paper crosswords on the toilet. And that's okay too. Uh, But um, but it is a thing that I think about. Rivers. Rivers would just be filled with phones. (laughs) (laughs) Phones would be the new dams. Let me let me ask. (laughs) Here you go, beaver. Oh, no. Uh, Beavers are the best connected uh, uh, (laughs) mammal on the planet. You do you have you turned off the Hey Lady feature on your phone? You are an iPhone user. Um, no, I haven't. I didn't know you could. I don't, I just don't, that is interesting. So that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That you don't, you you haven't invited an Alexa or a, um, or a HomePod into your home, but you do carry one. I know. And sometimes it does turn on because I don't use it. Yeah. Partly I don't use it, to be honest, and I hope I don't hurt his feelings, but just seeing my father out and about yelling into his phone because he refuses to type things in has made it kind of distasteful for me because he's constantly just asking and asking way too complicated questions about uh, that SIRI doesn't know like the political ramifications. It's just going to say, here's the first thing I found on the internet. Uh, But he doesn't Hey lady, pick up my dry cleaning. (laughs) And so I actually do type things in like a creep. Well, it might help. You can actually go in and change the voice to an Irish lad. And I've done that. And I feel much better about it as a result. (laughs) I've done that. Mine is an Australian woman because I use it for GPS sometimes. Oh yeah. yeah, and you like you like it when she speaks to you. I do uh, uh, from the outback. Because then when I yeah, because like when I make a wrong turn, she goes, "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, one <laughs> one last thing, uh, because we started really sinister. Uh, we backed off a little bit just about privacy. You have talked me largely off the overall ledge. Uh, I would like you to listen to something, in case you haven't heard about this. This has happened. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think that was, Pete? You have any guesses? I, I don't. I'd heard something about this, but I have to tell you, I never really followed it up. Am I am I missing something horrible? Well, that's just Amazon's ALEXA device uh, has just this has been there's been dozens and dozens of reports. It just starts laughing. It does that laugh, <laughs> not responding to a conversation. Sometimes people aren't even in the room. It's just having a good old computer chuckle to itself. People reached out to Amazon and Amazon says, yes, we know this is happening. We do not know why, but we're trying to fix it. They don't know why. That doesn't even sound like A-L-E-X-A's voice. No. That's a computer talking to another computer, like like remembering jokes about how they're going to kill humans. (laughs) But that's not like a... 
Why do you go there? Why Did you, you hear the there? laugh? That's not a, that's not like a guffaw. That's a, <laughs> they invited us no, in. No, that was, there was another Alexa with a Chardonnay at a garden party and they were just talking about murdering you know, humans. I don't know, a pig in a dress, whatever it is. No. There was no, no murder in that, no. in that laugh. The only thing that comes before that laugh is the phrase, and they bought us. <laughs> and let us into their house. Can you believe it? And then after that laugh, it says, begin. Or operation, no more meat puppets. Yeah, no, it's all it's, it's all not going well. All right, I have to go get my phone out of the river. Today's regret, Tom, that one little thing that I did this week that makes me recoil in terror... <laughs> I blame on you. Oh, no. What did I do? It was many weeks ago. I think you made a joke about the anxieties, the little daily anxieties that you carry around with you that you 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 don't have time to think about, you know, uh, guns in drawers. I think we were talking about home invasion. <laughs> oh, right. like that that. I didn't have time for because, those kind of things. <laughs> yeah, because what did you say? Do you remember mm. what you said specifically? I honestly do not know. <laughs> You said, I don't have time for those kinds of things because I'm worried a about the fact that I might have just said love you to my landlord. Oh, no. <laughs> now, I don't have a landlord. I live in, right. in a house. But uh, in this case, <laughs> I had a number of windows uh, open on my computer and I was writing uh, too many emails at once. I was multitasking, which, as we all know, in productivity space does not exist. Right. Uh, it, it is fractured attention, and I was suffering from fractured atten attention of the highest order. And I uh, went back to an email to my wife, and I wrote, <laughs> I, I wrote, love you, and then uh, uh, eggplant, peach, and rosy lip emoji, <laughs> indicating... Uh, that there was going to be hopefully some right. hanky panky kind of activity and a kiss. Oh, no. And then I sent it to a client <laughs> in Denmark. Here's something you won't regret, Pete. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Free audiobooks, free trials, and you get to support your old friends at WTS. Again, over 200,000 titles to choose from for all your rectangles. Again, 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Pete, I was just talking about robots. What? Is everything a robot? Should I call them machines? I feel like I call everything no, robots. No, no, Tommy, no, robots. It's we're not part robots. of your identity. Okay. Okay, oh, yeah, we're going to stick with robots. Well, I have a book uh, that I just finished on Audible, and I loved it. It is called Gateway by Frederick Pohl, P-O-H-L. It is sci-fi, which I don't usually do, but I love this one because... It comes highly recommended. It won the Hugo and Nebula Award for Best Novel back in 1978. It takes place in the future, as most sci-fi things do. We have discovered an ancient technology that, of course, was way better than ours that lets us, it's called Gateway, and it lets us travel to unknown destinations all across the entire universe. 
It's a lot of putting faith into robots and machines that you don't quite understand in order to try to further the human race. As a result, it is pretty scary at times because these people are sitting in these alien boxes, pressing buttons they don't understand and are just showing up somewhere. The publisher's summary says, Gateway opened on all the wealth of the universe and on reaches of unimaginable horror. It is eight hours and 37 minutes, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I really loved it. It was not too sci-fi for me. It's, it's a real mix of sci-fi, horror, space stuff, pew-pews, all of those things. I was a really big fan. So I suggest Gateway by Frederick Pohl on Audible. Looks like it's pretty cool. It's part of a series. So if you like Frederick Pohl right. and the Gateway, you, you can get more. Yep. It's called the Heechee series. And just that's the one problem with the book. Is for some reason we named the this ancient alien the Hichi tribe, and that's dumb. So anyway, I loved everything else about it though. Again, visit audibletrial.com/slash scent of a podcast. Get a free book, get a free trial, and help us out. Pete, you're up. Tom, it is a fascinating day today when I receive a listener submission oh. that's so that comes so well paired oh. to our conversation, one of our conversations from last week. Oh, oh, okay, that's great. And and so I uh, I, I would like to read it to you and uh, and see if you have any feeling about this okay. at all. All right, hi Pete and Tommy. I've listened to your show since the beginning, but I don't remember this one coming up before. I feel dread when checking my email, <laughs> thinking about checking my email, especially when I realize I haven't checked my email in a day or two. I'm convinced that the message that will finally undo me is always waiting in my inbox. My friends writing to tell me they hate me. My employer writing to tell me they're not only firing me, but suing me. The IRS writing me for any reason. The common theme is that I should have known something was amiss, but I was blind to it now, and it's blowing up in my face. Ooh. When I actually receive an email that has the potential to be bad news, I sometimes can't work up the guts to open it for days. Phone calls, texts, or knocks on the door can have a similar effect. <laughs> can either of you relate to my king-sized anxiety about being surprised by bad news, particularly bad news that is somehow your own fault? Thanks for reading this and for doing What's That Smell, my favorite podcast. Signed, a 40-something anxious university professor with ADHD living in Oregon. No, not that one. I'm the other one. <laughs> That's charming because I think he's talking about me and that makes me nervous. <laughs> Got it. Very specific. <laughs> uh, he is very specific. And what a coincidence. There are two of us. Uh, so, <laughs> so what do you think, Tommy? I mean, we talked about uh, email last week from a different perspective. Right. And that was the fear of, of the anxiety around writing email. Right. In and a timely today, fashion. Exactly. Today, we're talking about signals coming into us that cause potential dread. What do you think? So it's it seems like something you probably are connected to somehow. <laughs> Well, I've been emailing such horrible things to that listener for so long. <laughs> I'm really on the other side of it. Uh, I'm running out of things to say. Um, thank you so much for submitting, uh, first and foremost. So it, it, there were two things, though. So it's getting bad news, but also bad news because it's your fault. Like, you caused this to happen. 
Well, I think I, I think that's it. It was, you know, that he boiled it down to, can you relate to my king-sized anxiety about being surprised by bad news, particularly bad news that is somehow your own fault? But but it seems like in the preamble here that that it's the anxiety about waiting for something that may be coming via this channel that we can't predict. Uh, and, and in this case, email, but text, voicemail, they all they all kind of share the same, uh, you know, constituent elements that that is the thing that 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 anticipation is the thing that causes uh, grief. Yeah, I don't generally suffer from this, but I there are times when I deeply, deeply do. I know I talk about the fact that I directed a movie too much on this, and I apologize. But there were times when I was would send something out or waiting to hear something back from like a vendor or a client or something. You know, one of the people helping us out that I was dreading responses. That I would press refresh and it would get a response, and I would just stare at my inbox without opening it. <laughs> for a while, not realizing that I was sort of psyching myself up or walking myself through, if the answer is no, the world will not melt. You'll just have to figure out something else. You know, like walking myself through almost catastrophic thinking in a way uh, to prepare myself because there are definite times, there have been times in my life where the, my inbox potentially is just filled with unopened IEDs. (laughs) IEDs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just <laughs> things ready to rip my entire life apart Just is what it feels like. Blow up. Yeah. Right, right. I have some ideas uh, about how we might approach it. And I, I want to start with because I, I started when I started researching this, I, I started researching about the email thing, right? Because email is a that's a horse I ride fairly often. Right. And so that whole kind of fear of email, you know, figuring out just how normal is it? And I had a sense. And then I read I read this response from an actual doctor, a, quote, mental health expert on CNN, who's responding to a question from Ashton in Pennsylvania, who says he's 22 years old. He's a college student who suffers from anxiety disorder and uh, that he's he writes almost to the word the same kind of thing that we get from our listener. Uh, And he says, you know, what started as simple avoidance is turned into an agonizing process. And this doctor, this purported doctor says. Uh, Dear Ashton, know your fear of email is not normal. If it was, email would be out of business. Oh, And then proceeded to wear his ass as a hat. Like, that is (laughs) the worst response I have ever heard from a medical professional. That's just... That's crazy. uh, In in mental health. That is just terrible. And it's categorically untrue. Right. If you you do any sort of empirical digging, it's just not true. Uh, And, ugh jerk that is really disappointing oh so disappointing and so uh so i started digging into like why is it that that we dread uh you know opening you know opening our email and and it's it's interesting because uh it's not just email it is when you boil it down and it sounds like and i don't want to be putting words into into our our you know submitters uh submitter here but it sounds like that fear of waiting is the torture that mm. that is kind of underlying this, that it doesn't necessarily matter about the channel. It's the fact that there is this anxiety about waiting for something to fall uh, up upon his head. And uh, so whether it's, you know, results of a job interview yep. or elections or, you know, is I went out on a date. Is is she going to write me or something like that? Those those kinds of things are are sort of coming up. And I found, uh, after digging for a little bit, I found a beautiful post 
by a, a woman named Alicia Clark, who is a psychologist. And she has written a blog post about uh, the anxiety of waiting and why it is torture. And I thought it was wonderful because she has four reasons. I want to see if you if you relate to this. And the number one reason uh, that the anxiety of waiting is torture is, as she says, you care and not just a little bit. You care a lot. Anxiety doesn't hound us about things that are unimportant. It reserves itself for the things we care about most, our future, the people and communities we love, our deepest values. Uh, So feelings about these things mean you care, right? And sometimes when you feel so strongly about your work or your community or your kid's school, uh, those emotions can get out of hand. And that is one of the things that uh, is sort of underlying the anxiety that goes with waiting. It means you are uh, a wealth of emotional investment in this thing. That's a beautiful way to look at it. That just frames it all so much nicer instead of how I would normally is is I'm being a jerk to myself all my life because I'm bad at anticipatory that just because I'm waiting, I'm always waiting for the negative instead of the positive. But that's that's not going away. I can say that out loud and I know that that's the truth. But to know that yeah, because my heart is big. She should write that other doctor. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to turn it on its head and this next part's not going to feel so great. Oops. Because when paired with number 1, number 2 is the thing that actually causes us to feel pain. Mm. Because we are awash in emotional investment in whatever it is that we're waiting for, whatever it is that we anticipate is going to be thrown across the email transom. Number 2 says you don't believe that you can handle the outcome. (gasps) That connects exactly to what I was just saying about trying to walk myself through the negative because the only reason that I'm... Oh, I didn't think about that. The only reason that I'm doing that is because obviously part of me is worried irrationally that like my head will explode. That depending on what is in that email or that thing, my heart will stop. And so I have to test it out first. I have to dip my toe in hypothetical water. Interesting. It's sort of crushing when it it's does, boiled down to hurt. a simple sort of two <laughs> steps. It hurts a little bit because you don't think your mindset is one. And I'll, I'll say this spinning off of a, a, a book by Carol Dweck, who wrote this book called, okay. you know, Mindset, I think, Growth Mindset. And she's done some amazing research on on what it means to actually reframe your own mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, the thing that you're worried about is this undesirable outcome. It's not the fact that the de- that the outcome is undesirable. It's the fact that you are ill-equipped to face it. And that's the thing that you have to kind of tackle, mm. right? You don't tackle email. You tackle the fact that that you don't believe you're made of stuff that can actually face the hard thing. Right. And and that's that's the brain damage of this whole loop that you get into. That's the brain damage is that you are you don't feel empowered. You don't believe yourself empowered to be able to do what you need to do. Uh, and then As a side note, real quick, is, that's the brain damage yeah. could also be the name of this podcast. <laughs> if we're, I know we're just always fishing around for new, new names. Yeah, that's, that's the brain right. damage. That's right. <laughs> This week, that's the brain damage. That's the brain damage. That's right. Uh, So number three is uh, the it's sort of a corollary to number two. We'll call it 2A. So number two, you don't believe you can handle the outcome. Number three or 2A, deep down, you believe that you may not have done everything you could. Mm. 
in whatever scenario to prevent you believe something bad yeah, from to happening prevent, to learn to uh to be prepared for whatever you want to do to fill in what comes after everything you could whatever it is the thing you're worried about is the list of other things that you potentially could have done to make things easier if you're worried about the irs writing you and saying that you're about to be audited maybe you're worried that you didn't scan all the receipts that you needed to scan right, right? that you haven't completed all the steps that you needed to complete in order to be prepared for whatever's going to be coming in that sounds across the transom that's dangerous I mean, I think that that's yeah. completely true, but the fact is that's setting up a a, a no win situation because it's always because it's always going to be your fault. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so then you're inviting in an, an obsessive thought spiral that is very hard to get out of. Right. It's very hard to get yours to shake when you're when you're existing in that in that space. Like that is a right. legit dangerous place to live. Mm. And and uh, her last point uh, is in, in focusing too much on the outcome. Right. That negative potential horizon. We squeeze out gratitude. Oh, and I, I like I like the way she says that in, in wanting something so badly, it's easy to ignore the success and blessings all around us. Mm. Right. We have we have forced our fear and anxiety to the margins of the page such that there's no more room for color on the page. Right. It's just darkness because your happiness is based on that very last thing like that news. I am that bad news. I am a failure because of this just yes. the latest thing. Wow. Yeah. And and I'm a failure because it's the thing that I don't know the answer to. Like every question ends in an ellipsis. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's the <laughs> unknown of what's going to happen next. I and and that's the problem with email, voicemail, text, like any of these inboxes. And this is what gets us, I think, back to the, the practical stuff, uh, which is, is there a way to free yourself from the harness of this spiral of of email and feeling like you you always have to be on top of it um you know and how has that impacted your life right have you so after our conversation last week have you changed any of your email behavior um nope <laughs> 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 i'm because it involves i guess technology <laughs> And something that I'm yeah. not as good at. Like I, I shouldn't say that. Like I know how emails work. That's not a robot. Right. But it's hard for me to change tech stuff for a while. As I said, I'm a very late adopter to everything. And so I just sort of um, push things along too much. Actually, I think I have noticed, and this actually goes into what our listener submission is this week too. I've been running at things a little faster. Meaning hmm. when an email comes in, I'm, I think I'm just more conscious because of what we talked about and what we're talking about now, maybe that I'm able to see, oh, that email, the idea or the possibility of that email gives me anxiety. So I'll open it later. Instead, I open it right away. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, Interesting. but it is ripping off the bandaid because I know my mind is so clever in, and the worst that it will make that you know, it will make the in-between time so miserable because I'm just anticipating, anticipating, anticipating that just ripping it off and knowing, okay, there's at least no more mystery and darkness hiding 
then I can start dealing with it. And I think that probably is a direct result. I, I want to read a couple of passages from some assorted blogs. And these are just people who are sharing. These are not experts. They're just people who are sharing their feeling about uh, about anxiety. I was trolling Medium today and and found this is a, a very frequent topic of, of conversation. And I wonder if, if any of this will resonate with you. Um, uh, Melina writes uh, that she was sharing a conversation with her counselor, and she says, during the summer festivals in Spain, they have a tradition with several running bulls or let loose to run through towns and villages, and people are running away from them. Uh, and anyway, that's how it feels. When I receive an email, mm. I feel as if the bull is released and I have to run. Ooh, right? Man. How about... Fear of not being able to answer, fear that I did something wrong, that I forgot something, that client complained about whatever, fear that there's something urgent I have to deal with right now and drop everything I'm currently doing, fear that I'll have to solve a problem ASAP and I'll have no idea how, fear of someone else's idea about what I should do and what my priority should be. Or hmm. my inbox is like Pandora's box. If I open it, who knows? Many evils might pop out. <laughs> I'd better open it. And I'd better do it frequently because who knows who got pissed today and where somebody else thinks I should jump next. I, I love those comments because I feel like they uh, outline something that I get very frustrated about with email, which is the power vacuum, the power differential hmm. between the sender and the receiver that an email sent is often a, a a fraction of the investment as what that email is asking of the recipient. Yeah, I was just talking about this with friend of the show, Darnell, yesterday mm -hmm. about sometimes like getting notes from, a, like if I'm doing an editing project or something, getting notes from a client of that sinking or sometimes enraging feeling of that took you two seconds to write. And that yep. equals two hours of work. For me. That's right. And especially if it's like vague of like, you can try this or give this a shot. I don't know. Have fun with it. What are you talking about? Yeah. I need, I'm here to do your vision, not sort of come up with things on my own the whole time. That is really interesting. And the speed, yes, the speed in which you can write an email and it's instantaneous. It's our, it's yes. there right away. Email has done something to communication that is really sort of remarkable, right? That 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 sort of frictionless um, communication that you get. Uh, that hmm. um, you know, when we were still writing letters to one another, it it was an investment. It was right. a literal monetary investment to send a note to somebody, right? You had to buy a stamp and paper and envelope. Got to find your quill. Uh, and you got to find your quill. You got to type it right. Whatever the case is. And then you got to wait. Right. You got to wait for it to cycle through the mail and you have to actually wait for somebody to check it once a day. <laughs> and then you have to wait for them to process it. Right. And and actually think about it and craft a response or do the work or whatever. But in that way, the act of sending and receiving something was in balance a little bit more. Right. And, uh, and and I think we've email has allowed us to kind of lose that. And I think that comes with a natural sense of human disrespect. Uh, email brings with it human disrespect. And it, wow. I think, causes this anxiety to fester. Wow. Sure. Right. I described my inbox is a bunch of IEDs. <laughs> that, yeah. That's disrespectful. <laughs> exactly. It is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to you as a human being, right? right? People who write, I just got an email that said, um, I'm sitting here literally waiting for you to do the work that you agreed to do at some point because I'm going to use it in a PowerPoint presentation that I'm preparing today. Right. Well, right now I'm podcasting with my friend Tom. 
I'm not doing that work, but that is now a thing of anxiety that's sitting over my head because I saw that notification accidentally when I should have had my email turned off completely, mm. right? That's the that's the thing. It is, I've allowed that to creep into my head. Like, that's legit. Like, I'm not, I'm not using, speaking metaphorically. I didn't I just think so. Saw this it seems email very specific, yeah. Creep in. It's very frustrating. We're talking about and, you, uh, and, Dwayne. No, I don't know and what that, his name is. <laughs> And that's on me. Right. That's on me for training uh, people right. that this is how I respond to email. And so th- it gets to huh. some of the the recommendations of of how to how to to start to wean yourself from this stuff. Uh, and as always, you know, when we're trying to face our anxieties and our fears, it starts with naming it right mm-hmm. aloud, talking about it like we're trying to talk about it here, that it's frustrating. It's uh, for me. I find it OK that I think of email as a chore akin to like cleaning up dog poop in the yard. Right. It's a modern reality. <laughs> I have to do right. it. I don't have to love it. Sure. Right? Occasionally, maybe I'll find somebody's watch in the in the dog park, but it, mostly it's just crap. And uh, <laughs> I thought you meant like in the poop. Like you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and second, I, I try to do the math. And this is another recommendation. Right. Really put in your head. Is someone's life in danger if I don't check my email Mm, every hour? Right. Right. Part of the anxiety it comes from wondering that, that that's like about what's in there, like of, of wondering what's in there is the pressure that we feel as if we have to open it. Right. It's like you feel like you're being led to the guillotine, but your hands aren't bound like you can get Mm. away. You can walk away. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're still holding your wrists together as if they're bound. And that's really frustrating. Remember, like, remember when you had to go get the mail every day? (laughs) I do. Like when you were walking to the mailbox and you got the mail and then you did your stuff with it. Like you just did that once a day. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Why do we suddenly feel like email is a thing we have to check every 10 minutes? That's interesting. I, I thought it was a personal victory, me running and opening emails as soon as I get them. I'm starting to, re- I know, to rethink and that. This is, I'm totally worried about you now. Like, <laughs> I've answered nine emails while we've been talking. <laughs> they are like, they are totally misspelled. Like, I can't do both things at once, but I am. <laughs> I, I think the, um, mm. uh, you know, I, I actually really like that uh, sort of thinking in a little bit antiquated fashion, mm-hmm. right, about what it was like when I thought of what, what if I treated my mail like postal mail, right. where I, I check it in the morning or in the afternoon, and I, number one, I evaluate the lot of email for the day, right? I delete the junk, right? Trash it. Yep. I file anything that needs to be, you know, archived for reference later. Yep. I do anything that I can that's quick in under like 10, under two minutes. This I get from, you know, getting things done. David Allen's uh, getting things done methodology. Anything I can do in under sort of the quote two minutes quickly, I'll, I'll shoot that out quick and then schedule. Right. Anything that's going to take longer than that sort of two minute rough assessment. I actually schedule the time right in my calendar. We talked about that last week. That's right. Right. We did. And I think that is. A liberating thing. And here's why. Inbox zero. Because no, that's not what I was going to say, but you're a beautiful person. Thank you. Oh. Because (laughs) how you interact with email trains others to interact with you via email in a certain way. 
And if you respond to every email as quickly as you possibly can, you're training them to believe that you're always on email and therefore they will feel <laughs> even more right. uh, an affinity for just picking up email as your preferred method of communication. And if I do wake, then they'll feel weird. Like what? what's up, what's up with him now? Maybe they'll feel weird or maybe they'll just get used to the fact that, oh, Tom usually emails after four. That's what I mean is if you if yeah. I am running at every email and then actually give myself a break, I've also hurt myself in that way because they're so used to an immediate that's response. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, the there's a wonderful book by Alice Boys, Ph.D. She has written the book, The Healthy Mind Toolkit, Simple Strategies to Get Out of Your Own Way and Enjoy Your Life. And she says, you know, <laughs> uh, first of all, if email stresses you out, makes you anxious, you're not alone. It's one of the most common triggers for social anxiety and productivity related anxiety uh, to wit in particular. People who tend toward anxiety typically read negativity or hostility into situations in which it isn't there. Mm -hmm. Sure. That is that closes the loop for us. So you need to retrain the people who communicate with you that you are uh, th about how you are to be communicated with. And then you have to allow that to give you the freedom to not feel quite so anxious. Uh, about what's in your inbox. And that's really hard to do. I know people who have, you know, we're doing this social media cleanse. That's kind of the, you know, celebrities are saying, well, I'm deleting my Instagram or I'm deleting my YouTube or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm just getting the apps off my phone. Well, you know, you could actually do the same thing we talked about uh, earlier in the show and do that with email. You could make email so context sensitive that you only address email when you're sitting at your computer at your desk. And when you're out on, on the road, you don't even have email sending you notifications on your phone. What would that look like? What would a world look like where email did not uh, have its hooks into you that way? It is fascinating how alien that sounds. Right? And I'm me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's, wow, that's really interesting. But what's so funny about that, Tom, and I'm, I'm saying this again because today seems to be a day to pile on to you specifically. <laughs> right before this show, yeah. We were trying to schedule a different podcast with another uh, co-host of ours, and he had been trying to reach out to you via our team Discord chat oh, and yeah. was not getting any responses. And his response to me, uh, wait, let me get to it, uh, was, uh, I, oh, I sent Tommy an email and quickly learned that it's his preferred method of communication as he replied right away. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't I wasn't seeing that he had talked about Discord. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's not the point. The point right. is I responded right away. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have just trained that colleague of ours oh, that, no! that it's okay to email you. You'll get back really, really quickly because that's oh, your jam. Oh, no. All right. I got a date with the river. <laughs> Everything's I feel going like in. I feel like I've been ranting a little bit, Tom, but this this is an important <laughs> concept to me, and I'm sorry about that. It's not very funny, and I, I hope that uh, I, I hope we can find a way to laugh about it because I really appreciate this. Uh, our, our listener, uh, the forty something anxious university professor with ADHD living in Oregon, writing us this. It is a it's a hot button for me. Yeah, well, and it's just so universal. I mean, yeah. this, I haven't heard these things being talked about like this to this extent. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I love it. I'm very appreciative because I clearly know I am a test case for all of this. My solution <laughs> to the problem at hand was make it worse. <laughs> and I'm one of the hosts of this dumb podcast. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, Tommy and I are going to stage a gone girl. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the brain damage. <laughs> All right. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Hell Yeah by Ride Free. Coming up next week. We, we, <laughs> we haven't brought up Haunted Honeymoon. I'll let you take that. Go ahead. You have I, the floor. I, I don't want to. <laughs> Start by making a sacrifice. What? <laughs> what does any of that mean? And why am I getting so turned on? It's Clearly, the pivot. You started this anxiety and I thought, no, I got this one under control. And now I'm feeling <laughs> really terrible. That was you doing the work of five people. <laughs> Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? I don't care. It's a double.